Hello and welcome to episode number 38 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, joined by Tony Pauline as always. And on today's show, we'll have information on free agency, the NFL Combine, and some early surprises from film work. But first, Tony, what'd you think about this year's Super Bowl? Well, I mean, it was a good old defensive struggle. Uh, people are used to uh, 45 to 42 finishes, and that, that's not what we had. You know, you had some late-game heroics by the New England Patriots, and why not? I mean, we're both in New York. Uh, we're both New York Jets season ticket holders. I go to the games all the time, and, you know, I hear the hatred towards the Patriots, uh, the hatred towards uh, Tom Brady. You, you see it all over the Internet. But the fact is, is, you know, much to, to the dismay of, of, of Jet fans and other fans, the Patriots are the way a franchise should be run. I mean, they have been the model franchise the past two decades, and it is a joy to watch them play because they are so well coached. I mean, people could talk about the filming and the flake gate and all this. They find ways to win. They find ways to get the most out of their players. And it's, it's a joy to watch really. I mean, Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman are their starting receivers. I remember scouting Julian Edelman, when he was coming out of Kent State as, as an option quarterback. And I said, okay, well, you know, maybe he'll be a, a good fifth receiver and a return specialist. Look what he turned into. I mean, David Andrews, uh, uh, they're a starting center. They've got Tom Brady. They've got Gronkowski. But they've got some pieces around them that wouldn't make other teams or wouldn't make an impact on other teams. And all they do is produce. So, you know, more power to them, more power to that organization and, and to their fans, you know. People can bicker and people can be haters, but but that's what it's all about. It's running the franchise in a day and age of player movement, of free agency, of a hard salary cap, a day and age where, you know, it used to be you would wait three years to see if a player really developed and belonged in the league. Now people want to want that decision in three months and the Patriots just find ways to win. You look at the right tackle, Marcus Cannon, a guy who was highly rated had uh, was uh, diagnosed with testicular cancer right before he was drafted, and he's been a starter for him on the right side. I mean, in my opinion, if you really like football and you can really appreciate football, it's a thing of beauty to watch. Yeah, and a lot of people, the kind of overwhelming narrative about this game was that it was boring and it wasn't entertaining. And, you know, there are certain people that want to see that 45-42 game that you mentioned earlier, like, say, you know, the Chiefs-Patriots game during the regular season or Rams-Chiefs during the regular season, whatever it is, where the offenses are just going back and forth and back again. In the end, yes, the Rams offense wasn't that great. The Patriots defense played well. They did a lot of good things, you know, scheme-wise. As you said, they're very well coached. Bill Belichick, I mean, that certainly hurts a Jet fan to know that Bill Belichick is arguably or maybe not even arguably at this point the greatest coach of all time because he is just a master schemer. I mean, Sean McVay is a guy who has gotten a lot of credit early in his career, and rightfully so. All the coaching hires this offseason, it's like, hey, you know Sean McVay? You got a cell phone number? Show me. Okay, cool. You're our head coach. You know, Zach Taylor, the QB coach of the Rams, is now moving on to Cincinnati, and, and people are a little more lukewarm about that hire than they were weeks ago because of one game against the greatest coach and quarterback combination potentially of all time. You know, you have Tom Brady who takes a discount every year to help build the roster around him. He's not even in the top 10 to 12 paid starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Maybe he's not what he used to be, but when crunch time comes, when it matters, he delivers. And, you know, I hate to say it, you do have to give the utmost amount of respect to the Patriots, even their offensive line. You mentioned several players. That offensive line is full of 
day two, day three picks. I don't think there was a first rounder on that line. Nate Solder was last year, but he went to the Giants. Dante Scarnecchia, one of the better offensive line coaches, possibly in the history of the game, too. You know, it, it goes to show you the importance of coaching and the importance of what having the right mix of players and what having, you know, a, a head coach and a quarterback who are on the same page consistently. You know, that team kind of takes on what Tom Brady and Bill Palachek bring to them. People want to talk about the Flake Gate and things like that. That was a 40 point game. The Flake Gate did not change anything about the outcome of that game against the Colts. The Patriots are going to win regardless. Have they done some shady things in the past? Sure. But at the same time, that isn't why they are a dynasty. It isn't why Tom Brady has too many rings to fit on one hand. And in the end, maybe it was a boring Super Bowl to some people. I enjoyed it. It was close. I prefer that compared to a game where one team scores 35 to 40 points, the other scores 10 to 15. Sure, it's high scoring, but it's not close. There's nothing compelling about it. And even though the Rams struggled the entire game, if Brandon Cooks makes that catch for a touchdown in the fourth quarter, we're talking about a much different game. And it's a very close game where one big play can make all the difference. And that's exciting in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, like you said, it's a matter of, you know, getting players to play within the system and getting players to play above their ability. Uh, and and that's that's what the, the uh, Patriots and Belichick have done. Now, the amazing thing is, you know, you, you talked about the, the linebacker coach is not going to be the head coach of the uh, of the Miami Dolphins. Everyone wants to pick a piece of the fruit off the Belichick tree. But as you've seen with the Manginis, with the Josh McDaniels, with a lot of these Belichick coaches that have left, you know, the new the Patriots to go on and, and try and be head guys by themselves really hasn't worked out. So, uh, you know, it's the group working together, but it's the guy at the top, Bill Belichick, and, you know, more power to him. He deserves all the credit in the world. And one of the more recent examples that you didn't mention was Matt Patricia, who right. really struggled in Detroit this year, getting ripped in the media, getting ripped by his own players. I mean, it yep. seems like nobody likes him at all. It's very difficult to just pick the fruit from that tree, and it'll be interesting to see if this whole McVay tree that's now coming is going to create similar results, which, you know, you could say it's hit or miss, but for the most part, most of the guys coming from that tree have been straight misses from the New England tree, so it'll be really interesting to see if that kind of repeats itself now with a new wave of uh, Sean McVay and young offensive geniuses taking overhead positions. And the only reason I didn't say Patricia is because it's only been one year. You want to give him some slack, but you're right about, you're right about uh, what you said about him. I mean, I heard literally at the Shrine game that the players really don't like him. And as far as McVay's concerned, I mean, you know, it's funny. People are saying, you know, you might as well get a haircut like him, you know, get, get the same sort of facial expressions and, you know, just be like him and you'll get a job because, uh, Football's a game of trends, and uh, McVay's the trendy guy right now, and people are going to be looking to hire uh, coaches that coach like him or coaches that have coached with him. Absolutely. Now we'll turn our attention with both the college football and NFL seasons now in the rearview mirror. We're going to move towards the NFL Combine. We have free agency coming up, and certainly it's on the, lo- on the minds of a lot of people around the league. What's the overall feeling, Tony, on this free agent class from what you're hearing around the NFL? Yeah, you got to point one thing out. You know, free agency – actually starts around Shrine Week, uh, Senior Bowl Week, because that's when agents start talking to teams. You get a feel of what's going on, you know, who may go where or what, if not who may go where, what teams are interested in specific players. Now, the big position this year in free agency are going to be the pass rushers. You look at the, the top free agents, the Marcus Ware of the Cowboys, 
Jadavian Clowney of the Texans, though he may not make it to free agency. Trey Flowers of the Patriots. Uh, D. Ford of the Chiefs. Frank Clark of the Seahawks. Preston Smith is out there. Preston Smith of the Redskins. So overall, the feeling is, is it's a very uninspired class of free agents, but there are some teams that are very excited about the pass rushes who will be available. Now, speaking of teams that are excited about some of those pass rushers, Tony, who are you hearing is looking to upgrade on the edge? Look for the Indianapolis Colts and the Green Bay Packers to make runs at some of the bigger names on the pass-rushing free agent market. If they don't go get a top-tier guy, I think they're going to look at some of those second-tier guys. But look for the Colts and the Packers uh, to to at least broach the uh, bigger names uh, of the pass-rushing free market. Now, you mentioned excitement over the edge class. As New York Jets season ticket holders, which you mentioned earlier in the podcast, we really haven't had an edge presence to get excited about since the days of John Abraham, whose last year with the team came when I was a sophomore in college. And for those who don't know how old I am, let's just say I'm a few years out of my 20s. Is there any word on whether the Jets will approach some of these bigger free agents on the pass rushing side? I haven't heard the that they're going to approach some of the bigger names, but the name that keeps popping up with the Jets as far as the free agent pass rushers is Dante Fowler, who ironically played in the Super Bowl last week for the L.A. Rams. You know, if you just a little bit of history on Fowler, he was a third pick of the uh, 2015 draft for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I said at the time, I thought it was a mistake. They should have uh, selected Leonard Williams, who ironically is now playing for the uh, for the New York Jets. Missed his first season with a knee injury, came back, had a decent what would have been uh, should have been his third year in 2017 with eight sacks, but really never lived up to expectations. Jacksonville cut him, went to uh, the Rams, had four total sacks this year. Uh, he's expected from what I'm told to get a contract in the range of eight to $10 million. So when you look at the money that he's likely to receive and you look at the money that the jets have to spend, uh, you know, I, I think this sort of makes good sense for the jets if they go after Fowler. Yeah. The jets certainly do have a lot of money to spend throwing 10 million at Fowler, throwing maybe a couple more at Le'Veon Bell. If they decide to do that, it's only about 25% of the total money that they have. But assuming the Jets do sign a pass rusher in free agency, whether it's Fowler or one of the bigger ticket names, do you think that would exclude them from taking one at the top of the draft with a third overall pick? Well, I can't talk about uh, if they're going to take one of the big ticket names because I haven't heard that. But let's go on to the assumption what I'm hearing that there's interest in Fowler. I have no inside knowledge on this, but I think if they do sign Fowler, they're still going to look pass rusher early in the draft. Fowler doesn't take a pass rusher off the board. What I think it may be a little bit easier for the Jets to do is to trade down from that third spot if the right offer comes along. Obviously, the team that wants to trade up right now or the team that you we think wants to trade up right now is the Jacksonville Jaguars who want to move ahead of the New York Giants to assure themselves quarterback Dwayne Haskins. You know, This means that if the Jets, say, made that trade, they would still have the opportunity to grab a pass rusher like Cleland Farrell, of Clemson or Rashawn Gary of Michigan with that seventh pick or, or even the best cornerback in the draft uh, in Greedy Williams. And then again, of course, this assumes that the uh, San Francisco 49ers don't trade down to a team that wants to move up uh, and select Haskins. And I've been told that it's a real possibility that the Niners look to move out of that second spot. Yeah, definitely a lot of movement could be happening at the top of the draft this year, even without it being the typical star-studded quarterback class. Because a lot of those teams at the top, they drafted their guys last year. Shifting from free agency in the draft to the combine itself, one of the big stories from last week was defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons of Mississippi State not receiving a combine invitation 
Due to his past legal issues that involved domestic violence, Colorado State receiver Preston Williams was also barred from the combine for the same reason. Now, for those who don't know, a video was released in 2016 showing Simmons hitting a woman several times when she was already on the ground. Now, according to him, she made some comments about a dead family member that set him off. Obviously, we know that does not matter. It doesn't matter what causes the incident. What matters is the incident and the decision to go into that itself. That being said, this was all before he played it down at Mississippi State. The program decided that they were going to give him a second chance, bring him in, and see what they could do with him, see if he could develop both as a player and as a person. Simmons has reportedly taken advantage of that opportunity, really has been a model citizen the past three years with the Bulldogs. We've previously discussed on prior shows how this issue may affect his draft stock, so it really should come as no surprise that he's not going to be at the Combine. This is kind of reminiscent of a situation back in 2016. In December 2016, Tony, you told the Washington Post, that Joe Mixon would not receive a combine invitation after the video was released that showed him striking a female. He ended up not going to the combine, did end up as a second-round pick regardless. This is obviously just a continuation of this new NFL policy. We're not here to discuss that policy itself, obviously. We're really here to discuss Simmons. Let's start with the potential ramifications of him not being invited to the combine. Will it affect his draft stock? How will it affect his pre-draft process overall? Right now, I don't think it's going to affect his draft stock too much. I'll get into that uh, a little bit more in a minute or two. But, but what's going to happen is is he's not going to miss out that much of the combine because of the defensive talent at Mississippi State. And when he has his pro day in March, you're going to see a ton of coaches, defensive coordinators, defensive line coaches, potentially head coaches, and a lot of general manage, managers show up in Starkville for the Mississippi Pro Day because they've got Montez Sweat. Because they've got John Abrams, because they got Jerry Green, because they got Jamal Peters, they they got McLaurin, the other safety who's very underrated. They have a ton of defensive talent there. So regardless of whether or not Simmons was going to be working out, scouts would have made the trip. Now, what's going to happen is, is the biggest effect on him is he's going to have a very cramped schedule as far as the official 30 visits and the private workouts in the weeks leading up to the draft. Because remember, one of the, the most important part of the combine is what you don't see on the NFL Network. It's the medicals. It's the examinations. He's not going to get to take part in that at the Combine. So any team that is interested in Jeff Simmons is going to bring him in, and they're going to give him a Combine-like exam with potential MRIs. They can do that. And then there's going to be the individual workouts because teams are not going to get to see him work out. So he's probably going to have a very, very busy schedule for the month of March up until the week before the draft where he's doing individual workouts, individual meetings, as well as official visits. Now, speaking of teams around the league and what they're going to view Simmons as, what's the present feeling on his draft stock around the league and with certain insiders that you may have spoken with? Since the Shrine game, I've posted this hypothetical to people I know around the league. This was a Shrine game as well as a Senior Bowl, and they all agreed with me. And the feeling is Simmons' draft stock, or where he'll end up in the draft, is closely tied to how quickly Kareem Hunt is signed by a team. The sooner Hunt is signed by a squad, the quicker the pressure will be alleviated on a team that's interested in drafting Simmons uh, because I, I don't think there'll be as much pushback uh, if Hunt is already signed with a team. Yeah, certainly Hunt's going to take the headlines in terms of his signing rather than Simmons being drafted or Preston Williams being drafted later on. Hunt is the big name everyone has already seen him in the league. Speaking of which, what is the latest on the former Chiefs star back signing with a team? 
since the Shrine game, I've heard that Hunt will be signed sooner rather than later, and there are a couple of teams vying for his services. There was even a rumor during Senior Bowl week that there was a decision made on where Hunt would end up, though I could not confirm that. I didn't expect Hunt to be signed before the Super Bowl, as I think that would have gobbled up the headlines in the days leading up to the game as well as game day. But that being the case, I wouldn't be surprised if Kareem Hunt ends up with a team in the next couple of weeks. Now, we have a new segment coming up on the podcast. But before we get to that, please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, feel free to tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. As we move closer to the draft, we're going to talk a little bit about prospects that have surprised Tony from the game film. Obviously, we're going to be watching film up until the draft. First things first, Tony, what's your process? Do you watch film by position? Do you do it by team, by conference? How do you do it? Yeah, well, people familiar with my work at draftanalyst.com and even before that at draftinsider, scout.com, etc., know that it, I usually have the largest number of ranked players and scouting reports on draft-eligible players that can be found anywhere. I believe last year at draftanalyst.com, we had over 1,000 players who were graded, and, and the number of scouting reports that we had were 780 individual scouting reports. I find the most efficient way to get through all the film is I break it down by conference, and then I go team by team in that conference, always by alphabetical order. This is usually done over the course of a prospect's career. I don't just do it the year before he's going to get drafted. I have notes on some players for uh, three years. It's the best way to watch for tendencies and development of a player or lack thereof of, of his development. I'm always looking and hoping for, uh, hoping that a player improves from the prior season rather than leveling off or, gosh forbid, regressing. So I know you just finished up your ACC film work. Which players impressed you the most and gave you more than you expected? The player who really stood out uh, for me and, and the guy who uh, I got more than I expected was Garrett Bradbury, the, the center from North Carolina State. I mean, he was exceptional. In, in Going into Senior Bowl week, I gave him a fourth-round grade. We both watched him at Senior Bowl week. He had a tough start to, to practice, then he finished strong. But when I watched him on film, he, he was outstanding. He was quick, explosive, great fundamentals. A tremendous uh, pass blocker. I love his ability to get out to the second level and block in motion the way he redirected uh, to linebackers to take him from the action. Doesn't have great power. Not a real drive blocker as opposed to, say, Elton Jenkins of Mississippi State. But he's strong enough in the run blocking department. And I can understand why when I left the Senior Bowl, people told me that Bradbury has got about a 90% chance to slide into the late part of round one. Now, from what you saw from him in Mobile compared to what you saw on the tape, obviously he struggled early on down there during Senior Bowl week. Did those struggles or anything about them, the traits that may have caused those struggles, did any of that shine through on film work or was it really just kind of an isolated thing in your mind? Yeah, no, I think it's the latter. I, I mean, he would get beat on occasion. He would get beat by the bigger guys, but it wasn't a consistent basis, say, the way he was uh, struggling handling Rennell Wren early in Senior Bowl week. I mean, he was very consistent consistent in a good way throughout all the film that I watched uh, on North Carolina State. And I watched a lot of film. I mean, because they've got three offensive linemen that are going to uh, either be drafted or signed as undrafted free agents. They obviously have Finley 
the uh, the quarterback. They got uh, Gillespie, the uh, running back. They got the two receivers in Harmon and Meyer. So there there was a lot of talent, especially on offense. Not so much on defense, although they they have got some prospects on defense. There was a lot of talent on offense, and when you get into that situation, or I find myself when I get in that situation where a team, especially on one side of the ball, has five, six uh, prospects, I have to watch six or seven games before I really feel comfortable knowing the prospects. And now, do you rewatch games sometimes? So you watch one game, you'll watch the offensive line, and then you'll watch Finley and the receivers, or do you just kind of go from game to game, maybe looking for different things depending on the matchups against the opponents? I, I just go from game to game to track tendencies. Got to remember, I've been at this for uh, 20 years, and I watch game film 12 months a year. So over the summer, I had a base. I, I watched Bradbury. I had my base on him. I also had notes from him during a sophomore season. So I won't watch the offensive lineman from North Carolina State against Florida State, then start to film again and watch the receivers. I'll basically do it all, all as a group and take it from there. Now, obviously, you were impressed by Bradbury during your ACC film work. Anybody else really stand out to you? Chris Lindstrom of Boston College. I mean, he's a guy who I believe was a week eight riser in 2017 when he played tackle, was pushed inside to guard. And again, someone who I just saw consistent progress in his game. He's not the greatest athlete. He's not as good on his feet blocking emotion as Bradbury is, but he's stronger. He's more of a mauler. He's a real tough guy, a slug it out guy who... I liken sort of to Chris Snee. He's not Chris Snee, who was a second-round pick of the Giants. I believe it was the same year they took Eli Manning and went on to have a long career. But he's that type of guard. Someone who I think is going to have a long career at the next level in the right system. You don't want to pull him across the line of scrimmage. You don't want to do too much zone blocking with Lindstrom. But he plays guard. He can play right tackle on a pinch. And a guy, again, who over the last three years, I just saw consistent progress in his game. And... He played well during senior bowl practices. Now let's go in the other direction here. Which player or players in the ACC disappointed you the most and whose draft grade have you downgraded the most since the start of the season? Joe Giles Harris of Duke was a guy who I was very high on since his redshirt freshman season. I thought he could be a potential second-day pick. I know he struggled with some injuries last year, but he just really didn't elevate his game. Kind of seemed confused and lost at times. Did enter the draft anyway, but I, I think he's now a last-day pick. And then the two other guys were Jalen Smith, the receiver from Louisville, as well as Tyler Jones uh, from North Carolina State. So not only were Jones and Smith disappointing during Shrine Game and Senior Bowl week, respectively, but you also came away from the tape study with questions. Were the issues for those players the same in both environments as what you saw in St. Pete and Mobile? Yeah, I got to I got I, I to say yes, absolutely. I mean, Jones, I got to take a hit on Jones because I had him highly rated uh, coming into the year, I thought he could be a second-day pick. Scouts graded him as a six-rounder. Right now, he's a seventh-round choice. Played left tackle at North Carolina State. Really, the difference between Jones, his sophomore and junior seasons compared to this year, just didn't look like he was playing. Uh, he had his feet underneath him. He played tall. He was getting beat around the edge. He was getting bull rushed over. When I watched him during his junior year, I thought we had the potential of a good zone-blocking guard. What I saw as a senior and what I saw during Shrine Game was a guy that was getting run over. Really, he's one of those guys that I thought played better as a junior than he did as a senior, which is going to hurt his draft stock. As far as Jalen Smith is concerned, it was really non-existent in, in the Louisville offense. I mean, you have to wonder how much of it was Jalen Smith as opposed to how much of it was Lamar Jackson 
you know, ba basically helping Jalen Smith to be the best receiver he could be. Coming out of uh, the 2017 film, I thought he was a potential third, fourth round choice. Scouts had him as, as, a, uh, as a fourth, fifth rounder. During the season, he was almost non-existent. I mean, he looked at best like a seventh rounder. Did show some flashes during the senior bowl, but I don't think he showed enough flashes to really recover his draft stock where a lot of people thought it was going to be heading into the 2018 season. Yeah, he got off to a very slow start at the Senior Bowl. He was not separating very well at all the first two days. As you said, did a little bit better the third day. There was more of a focus on red zone drills and winning out in contested situations there, which obviously is one of his strengths and an area where he is going to impress. But really, overall, at Senior Bowl week, he didn't do very much to help himself there. When you mentioned Lamar Jackson leaving, if we obviously saw what the Baltimore offense turned into this year and then what happened in the playoff game against the L.A. Chargers— Maybe it wasn't as much Lamar Jackson elevating him. Obviously, the college game and the NFL are far different. But in the end, maybe Jalen Smith just played over his head a bit as a junior. Certainly, Lamar Jackson is an NFL quarterback, was a first-round pick. So the downgrade this year was particularly steep. But Lamar was more of a playmaker than he was a passer. Do you think that a lot of this is more on Jalen Smith than it is strictly on him losing his quarterback? I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I understand what you're talking about this year with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Raven offense. But, you know, Lamar Smith was a good passer for two years at Louisville. You don't want to take that away from him. But the thing is, is, you know, obviously Smith has got to step up. He's got to show that he can be the man. He's got to show that he's a good player versus being a system wide receiver. And he really didn't, really didn't show that because, like I said, I mean, he was non-existent for large parts of the 2018 season. Now, we've taken a look at some of the winners from film and some of the losers in the ACC. Were there any players that kind of came out of nowhere and really just surprised you when you watched them? Ham Cheevers, the cornerback from Boston College. You know, when you see a guy who kind of comes out of nowhere and has the stats that he Cheevers had, seven interceptions last year, 14 uh, pass breakups, sometimes you think, well, it, it's basically he's being more opportunistic than being a good player. That wasn't the case with Cheevers when I broke him down on film. Solid ball skills, athletic, explosive, really around the ball a lot, uh, very instinctive, didn't make bad plays. It was more the, the interceptions and the pass breakups were the end result of his skill versus opportunity. Now, the thing with Cheever is height's going to be an issue. I doubt he's going to be five foot ten at the combine, which will end up in him being downgraded by a number of teams. But I still think he could be either a, si a solid nickel or dime back at the next level. That's all for the 38th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more draft news and film review. But for now, make sure you head over to draftanalyst.com for all the latest, including pre-draft grades from the aforementioned ACC tape. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi, and we'll see you next week.